good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan, and it's, it's really, really good to be here. We've been friends with, with SMCC for, for a, quite a while now. We first got here 2021, and some of our best friends are in the room. Can we just show that one song? I, I, what's that one Ren Collective song, like, For All That You Have Done? Could you, is it possible to just show that lyric again? Because I don't know what it was. Um, I started reading these lyrics, and I started singing these songs, and I thought, started thinking about um, my our family's relationship with some people in here, and I just started, I just came to tears. I was like, for all that you've done for us, every battle won, and I started to feel something in my, in my, my heart, like, yes, this is, this is all true. We'll raise a song, the next verse here, um, it talked about, uh, keep going, yeah, with failures, regrets, for every battle won, uh, the next one, it was talked about like doing life together. In unity, we'll stand as one, as a family, we'll go shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. And I just thought about like some, vic- some major, major victories that we've experienced here with, with people, um, you know. Yes, now we're both crying. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just so good. I wanted to just acknowledge that. Thanks for, thanks for uh, following the spirit and, and choosing really good gospel-centered songs. And I look forward to this. We got here a couple years ago, and in, in, in the military, there comes a time where you just have to pack your bags and go again. They're, they're not suggestions, they're orders, right? So you have to go, but we're looking forward to ending this, this last year here, doing life with you, doing battle together, and experiencing some, some major, major victory. Okay, so, so with that, I'll introduce myself. My name is Ryan, and then this is my beautiful wife, Jeanette, here. And I just have to clarify, no, we're not in the youth group. We're actually, you know, we're actually adults. We have four children. They're right here. Um, Kyler, what's your names again? Kylie, um, Giselle, Ryder. And my voice is gone. Like, I, I lost my voice yesterday because yesterday was my son's very first varsity wrestling match tournament. So he won his very first match. That's, yes. And... And I'm supposed to behave, you know, because I, I'm, I'm, I grew up wrestling, and I was supposed to behave and just not doing any coaching at all, just film. But I lost my voice because I was yelling and screaming so loud, and, and I had to confess and repent my sins because I, I might have yelled at a couple of refs. So, yeah, I'm super proud of my son because yesterday was really special because uh, he wrestled 113 pounds, which was not his weight. That's like they bumped him up 10 pounds, and I never did that in high school. I was a 103 pounder. And I would never go up because I was too scared to do that. But my son did it, and he, he's, he's already surpassed me in courage. So I just wanted to take time to acknowledge that. So anyways, Ryder, you're awesome. Okay. Okay, so let's, let's begin like this. I want to begin with, with a little kingdom exercise. I got this from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest authors, one of my favorite. And C.S. Lewis began every morning with this. Two questions. And C.S. Lewis said he starts every day with these two questions. Who's in control? And to whom shall I listen to today? I actually have a coffee mug when I I put these two questions on there. And every time, every time I I see the news or something, I have to go back to these two questions. Who's in control? And to whom I'm going to listen to today? It's a repeat after me prayer, so I will pray it. And then if you would like to join in, then you pray it after me. I'll do the next line, and you pray it, and we'll just, that's how we'll begin here, okay? Let's bow your heads, and let's, let's pray together. Say this, dear Lord, who's in control? And to whom shall I listen to today? 
Lord, thank you that you are in control. And thank you that I get to listen to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Wasn't that good? You guys like that little kingdom exercise? I actually have nothing to offer you today other than God and, and his word. And I know if I offer anything more than that, then I'll offer you less. So I'm just going to plagiarize from the Bible, right? steal things from here, and then, and then share it with you as well as some, a lot of books that I've read that I think is really helpful in pointing our eyes to Jesus. All right, let me begin, begin with another confession. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Anybody in here? Yes. Yes. All right, I'm probably not as true a Star Wars fan as you because I don't know as much as I should know, but I do know this. In 1977, George Lucas launched this series that just changed the world, right? I mean, uh, yes, in the 70s, 1977 to 83, right? Three, three Star Wars movies came out, okay? Um, it wasn't until I was in college, it was like 1999, okay? You're like, no way, yes, yes. I'm Filipino, so I was like forever 21. Um, but I, I was, it was in college, and this movie came out called Star Wars Episode One. And my mind was blown. I go, Episode One? No. One, two, and three was back in the 70s and 80s. No, I read closely, it was Episode One. Blew my mind. And then Episode Two and Episode Three. So they did, it was genius. They did the series totally backwards. They started off with episode four, five, and six, and then 16 years later launched one, two, and three. Doesn't make any sense, right? It never makes sense to start in the middle of a story. You can't make sense of the whole saga if you start in the middle. It will forever plague you. Like, why, why did that guy say, Luke, I am your father? Like, what does that mean? How did he get there? Who is that guy, Darth Vader? Like, who's, who's Anakin Skywalker? Why did he say that? Why, who's Luke and Leia? Where did they come from? All these things, they don't make any sense unless you start off with episode one. This is the dilemma of Christmas. The dilemma of Christmas is we always start with the baby in the manger, you know, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus away in the manger. Like, that's, we can't start there. You can't start there and make sense of the whole story. We have to start with episode one. Jesus in the manger is actually episode three. So we're going to break the series down into, into, four, into four episodes, if you will. I, I made that up. Um, yeah, Pastor Scott, if you, if you, yes, he, he can deviate from that. But he told me we're going to do a series. It's four weeks. Episode one is going to be um, the need, the need for the Savior. Episode two would be the, um, the promise of the Savior. I think we have these on the, uh, somewhere on there. Um, and episode three would be the announcement. That's the Christmas passage, right? That's the Christmas passage there, Luke 2. The announcement, mega joy, good news of mega joy. And then episode four would be the plan, the plan of the Savior. Okay, so this is the progression for the next four weeks. Advent is typically, if you grew up in a traditional background, uh, Advent is... First week is hope, then peace, and then joy, and then love, and that's the culmination of Christmas, and then we're ushering in um, the baby in the manger, the, the coming of light. Now, traditions change all over the world, but no matter where you're at, Advent means the same thing. It's light coming into a dark place. 
no matter where you go in the world. That's why I love to see lights and Christmas trees and all these themes of Christmas because there's one theme that everybody agrees on, it's light. And Jesus is the light. He's coming into the world and bringing, and, and bringing light. And whatever light touches, darkness flees. It's amazing. Whatever light touches, darkness flees. And the light, the thing about the light is it doesn't light up everything in the room, but the closer you get to the light, the clearer you see. And so the closer we get to Jesus, as these weeks come by, this is Advent, he's coming, he's coming, the clearer we'll see. We'll be able to see ourselves clear, we'll be able to see each other clear, we'll be able to see the mess going on around the world clearer, even in the midst of the mess. But that's the progression here. So if you're, if you're like me, and you probably have a lot of questions. Like, what really, what is the Christmas story? A lot of questions. Like, what is Xmas? Is that people trying to take Christ out of Christmas? That's actually not. Like, the X actually stands for Christos. It's the Greek word, ki, and it's X, so Christmas. Like, there's all these kinds of questions. Like, what is the Savior? What, is, what, what does it mean? Um, why are these angels rejoicing? Why, 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 why? And then if, you even ask more questions, you'll say, why, if this baby is the Savior, then why do I feel like this all the time? If this baby is the Savior, then, then why do I struggle with this? Why do I still struggle with this to this very day? I've been pleading with the Savior to deliver me from this. Why is it still here? So many questions. So if you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. In Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 8, this is, this is episode 1. This is episode 1. Now, the, the story of Christmas is good news. Okay? It's the good news of, of great joy. Um, I'm going to say something that nobody can argue with. I like to say things that nobody can argue with because they can't, can't argue with it. I don't care if you're, if, you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ here, you're, you're going to agree with these things. There's no such thing as cold without hot. There's no such thing as light without dark. There's no such thing as, as sickness without health. So there's no such thing as the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means. There's no such thing as good news without bad news. You have to have both. There has to be a lot of bad news in order for there to be good news. What's the good news? Well, let's just say the good news is this Christmas story that the Savior came, right? That's, that's the first advent. The second advent is when the Savior comes back. See, the first advent, he was eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. The second advent, he's 150 pound bearded Jesus with a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, riding it on a white horse, about to demolish everybody who's evil and offensive in his sight, right? So those are the two advents. The Bible talks about two advents. This is the first advent. But the passage today is about the bad news. And it's really, really bad. I'm going to unpack how bad it is. And at the end, I'll tell you Merry Christmas. But, but it's, it's really bad. This is like the lowest point of, of humanity. But when we, understand, when we talk about the gospel, we have to talk about this bad news. Okay? So here it is. It's in Genesis 6, 5 through 8 that tells us what is the bad news. It's in Genesis 5, 6 through 8 where we see what grieves the heart of God the most. If you've ever wanted to know 
what grieves God, it's this. It's, it's Genesis 6. And then in Genesis 6, 5 through 8, you'll see that this is, this is why the, the, the Messiah is needed. This is why the Messiah is needed. Okay, the passage, I'll, I'll read my version here. Um, I'm reading through the, the Christian Standard Bible, and then we'll read the one on the screen as well. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe my, mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals and creatures and crawling and uh, birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Look at this version here. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the, in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart. See, that's the difference between this version and that version. That version's accurate. That version's in, in line with the original Hebrew word, lab. Lab is, is the heart. And, and the heart is an interesting, interesting thing. Um, the heart, in, in, in the Old Testament, the heart, lab, lab is used 860 times. In the New Testament, Paul and, and the other writers of the New Testament use this word cardia. Any cardiologists in the room here? You know what a cardiologist is? A cardiologist is a, is a doctor of the cardia, the heart. And the heart is not the, it's never referred to, the ancients never referred to the heart as the physical blood pumping organ in your body. But rather, the heart was the thinking capacity of your being. My buddy Steve painted for me uh, this, this, this heart before we left our duty station in, in Virginia. I think I, I sent a picture to Pastor Scott about this heart. Oh, there it is. See that heart? And I love looking at this art because it, it's in my office every day. And, and if I'm doing counseling in my office, it reminds me that the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. And I'll leave, I'm going to leave this up here so we can just refer to this. I also read a great book by uh, Elise Fitzpatrick called The Idols of the Heart. Because the, the heart of every issue is the issue of the heart, even look what it says here in our, in our scripture. When the Lord saw that the human wickedness was widespread on the earth, okay, so you can just imagine this. What does this look like when human wickedness is widespread? You're probably thinking, yeah, it looks like today. You just have to look at the news. But guess what? We're no, better off, we're no worse off today than we were yesterday and the day before and, and, and thousands of years ago. The technical term is same poop, different scoop. <laughs> it's, we, we've not changed since the beginning. It's been the same thing. It's been the same thing. It, it always looks the same. It just manifests in different ways. I mean, before, uh, who came into the military when there was no such thing as the iPhone, right? Like, Rick, remember we used to use like USB like around our neck, like that, they, remember that? And, uh, and uh, some of you probably like, used typewriters, right? Did you use typewriters back in the day, <laughs> Kelly? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. We're actually, Kelly and I are the same age. But um, yeah, it, it, it always looks the same. Um, the heart, look at this. So every, the human heart was wickedness and, and widespread on the earth and every inclination of the human 
heart was nothing but evil all the time. See, it doesn't really focus. It doesn't really focus on how people were behaving. It focuses on the root issue. The root issue was the heart. The heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. Look at, look at, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Matthew 5, 27. Matthew 5, 27 says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, for Jesus, the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. So I could care less how you're behaving. I could care less about your addictions. I care more about what you're believing. And I care more about what's happened to you in your life and how you're reacting to what's happened because what you're believing. I teach a, a suicide prevention class called, called Assist. I've been teaching it for years. And I, I start off the seminar by saying, I, I, don't, I don't care about your suicidal thoughts or your suicidal behaviors as much as I care about the thoughts that you have leading up to it. Because if we deal with the root cause here, if I chop it off at the roots, then it never manifests into fruit. If I chop something off at the roots and I pull that root out of the ground and I expose it to the sun and it's exposed and everybody can see it, the sun actually shrivels that root up and then the fruit dies without even me even touching the fruit. You see, behavior modification is a cheap substitute for heart renovation. So even like all the parents in here, right? Like it's, it's so easy and I do this all the time. I'm confessing my sins right now. I delve into behavior modification. Stop doing this. Start doing that. Don't do this. Don't... But our real job as parents is to pursue our children's hearts. The real job is to look beyond the behavior, into the heart, see what they're believing there, expose it, and teach them how to think and align their thoughts with what God's thinking. As the world will inundate us constantly with the, with the noise of the world and, and the world is always speaking to us and God is also speaking to us so our job is to turn up the voice of God and to turn down the voice of the world but that's that's heart renovation in heart renovation which is so much better, better than behavior modification um, because it leads to at least the lasting change the the most used verse in the Bible the most used verse in the Bible should be 1 John 1.9. This is in my opinion. And 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are the, this is the reps and sets of life and community shoulder to shoulder. That's how we do battle together. And we do it in community. Another, another passage here that, that talks about this, uh, how, to, how to renovate the heart is James 5.16. James 5.16 um, tells us, confess your sins one to another. One to another. The more we hide, the less we heal. But the more I can be exposed, I expose all the wickedness and the intents of my heart. So, uh, there's, there's, there's three issues here and we just want to see how bad this is if, if, imagine this world every inclination of the human heart was nothing but evil all the time 
What does that look like? Well, I think there are three problems here. There's the problem of idolatry. So the problem of idolatry is this. Uh, let me go to one passage here. This is Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. Exodus 20, you know the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. What's the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments? Say again. This, uh, do not have any other gods besides me. Do not have any other gods. So this is, this is at the top of the list. This is at the top of the list. Having no other gods before me. Uh, we were all created to worship. We were all created to worship. Whether you like it or not, you will worship something. It's just a matter of what you will worship. Another confession, right? This is my life. I, I, love, I love confession. So I worked, at this, I worked at this surf company. This was years ago. My brother was the art director, and I, I was a media guy. And uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a, a place called Lost. Actually, my son's wearing a sweater. It says Lost, right? And it was a bunch of lost. It was a bunch of lost people. <laughs> it did a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, a lot of surfing, okay? And I was in seminary at the time, trying to make money for seminary, working at a place called Lost. And they bought us tickets to a, uh, a Buster Rhyme, Snoop Dogg, Warren G show. And they said, hey, we, we bought a private VIP box tickets, and you guys can go. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go. You know what I saw there? I saw people worshiping. We saw, like, gang members from different, like, you could see different colors. Like, okay, got the red here, blue here. Like, it was just different colors. And when the songs came on, right, um, there was just this unity in the room. It was crazy. Like, we, were, we didn't even know people. But we were like, arms around each other. We were like singing these songs. Um, I don't know how we knew the songs, but we knew all the songs. <laughs> we knew all the songs. Um, that's worship. If you see people at this time playing football, crazy people in the stands with their shirts off with like Green Bay Packers like, like on, their, on their bellies and it's like 18 degrees outside, 18 below, you know what that is? That's called worship. That's called worship. We do it all the time. It's just a matter of where we direct our worship. So the, pro the first problem here in the wickedness of man is this, it's an idolatry problem. As God says, you shall not have any other gods besides me. So this is the constant temptation every single day that my, my, the direction of my worship would go from God to something else. I think there's four. I think there's four core idols. I didn't think of this. I, I read a great book by uh, the late Dr. Tim Keller. Let me read a book by Tim Keller. This is called Counterfeit Gods. And in, in Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he identifies four core idols. The first idol would be the idol of comfort. The idol of comfort. And when I worship comfort, right, then that means I don't do anything that makes me uncomfortable. I won't confess my sins because that's uncomfortable. I won't tell you where I'm really at because that's uncomfortable. But as people mature in their lives, they get more comfortable, okay? I'm not sure if this next illustration is going to be appropriate, but I'm just going to do it anyways. So uh, there was a wrestling tournament, right? There was a wrestling tournament, and then these boys, I, I, uh, I walked into the locker room, and they're all, they're all like cleaning up and getting, uh, you know, showered up uh, after the tournament because you get dirty, right? 
they're all freshmen and sophomores, right? So, so they're in the locker room, they're, they're, you know, like taking a shower in all their board shorts and all that, right? Just like, you know, it's kind of like shy, right? The older you get, but what I've noticed, like 24-hour fitness, the older people get, the more comfortable they get in that locker room. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, sorry. Like way, way too comfortable. Like, whoa, this is way, but it, it, it comes with age. Right and, and maturity and like ah, whatever I'm just walking around now but but I watched the young guys yesterday they're just like you know showering board shorts and then you, you get the 24 hour fitness in California like whoa this is that's way uncomfortable but anyways I'm I'm I'm, I'm digressing uh, the worship of comfort means I don't do anything that makes me feel uncomfortable so it's it's, it's a lonely life it's isolation it's like hey, I'm, it's it's a life of emotional insulation which means hey, uh, I'm going to let you in, but I'm not going to let you all the way in. Or it's a life of emotional isolation, which means nobody gets to know me at all, because that's too, that's too uncomfortable. That's the God of comfort. The next God uh, that Tim Keller talks about, uh, comfort, let's say uh, uh, the idol of power. Can we throw them all up there? The idol of control and the idol of approval. So these four gods are constantly saying, hey, worship me. Worship me. Don't worship the true living God. Worship me. And, and they manifest in, in so many different ways. The God of comfort, the God of approval is this. Have you seen that, that movie, Fight Club? I haven't watched the whole thing, but I saw this one quote from it. We, we, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Right? That's, that's the idol of approval. And, and this isn't just for the little kids in here. This is not for the teenagers. Like, oh, I got to wear this shirt to impress those people. This happens through your whole life. This, this God never goes away. Oh, I got I to gotta do this because I want to get this on my chest and I want to get this rank because I want to look like this or I want to make this much money. That's the God of approval. It's a false God. It will, it will never deliver on its promise for true peace and joy. The, the, the God of control I don't know if you're like me, but this one's constantly like barking in my ear. Anybody a control freak in here? You don't have to raise your hand because that's uncomfortable too. But a person who's a control freak is simply just worshiping the God of control. And control is such an illusion because I think the more I know something, then I can control it, but I can't. I can't control anything. I can't control the world. I can't control people around me. I can't control circumstances and situations. The only thing I can control is myself. That's actually a Bible verse. Self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And there's this, there's this God of the, the, the idol of, of power. Um, when, when people do things, sometimes it's not about anything else other than power. Power is like getting in the last word, being right, having a last say. It's, it's stepping on other people to get in a position of power. These, these four gods are constantly saying, worship me. And the antidote to all these are, are simply turning my eyes back, confessing, and, and implying, um, using 1 John 1, 9, saying, Lord, I want you to try this this week. As you're trying to control people around you, circumstances and situations, you say this, Lord, I confess I am worshiping the God of control again. Thank you for your forgiveness. Bless him, change me. That's, 
Kelly and I use that prayer all the time. We, we, we encourage her to say, hey, let's pray the prayer again. Bless him, change me. Bless her, change me. Bless them, change me. Have you seen those picketers on the sides of the corner? You're like they're picketing like, hey, the... nobody ever had a sign that says, hey, I'm the problem. <laughs> right? I'm the problem with this country. No, it's, it's like you're, it's so comfortable to say you're the problem. Everybody else is a dummy, but not me. That's the worship. That's the wor- That's false worship. But if we lived in a world where we're like constantly confessing our sins, like, hey, here's where I'm falling short. Would you like to do life with me? Here's where I fall short. Can you relate? Because we live in a me too world. So if we start confessing our sins like Christians should do all the time, then it's contagious. People start doing it, and next thing you know, the enemy looks in here and goes, man, I just totally lost control of SMCC. Because all they do now is confess each other and let each other know where they're at, and I, I have... Man, I wanted them to be in hiding and live in emotional insulation and emotional isolation. But they're living too free, too free in Jesus. So, okay, let's go back to our passage. So, so that's one aspect. This is, it's, it's an idolatry issue. These idols will eat your lunch. But we have to be in a constant mode of confessing them. Like, hey, I'm, I'm worshiping the God of approval again. All right. I don't, need to, I don't need to buy that shirt to look like this to impress my friends. I, I just don't, I don't anymore. And then your language will change to, I don't need these things anymore, to, God, all I need is you. In the book of Philippians, God says, I supply all your needs according to your riches and glory. So we, in our house, we don't use the word need like we used to. I used to yell at my kids, like, I need you to eat your vegetables. No, I don't. I don't need that. That's not a need. That's not a need. Then it becomes my God. The only thing I need is the Lord. That's it. Everything else is a want. Everything else is a nice to have, but it's not, it's not necessary. Okay. All right. You want some more bad news? Okay, here's some more bad news. This is also a love issue. Look at what, okay, God is grieved, right? He made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. What grieves God the most? Well, in order to know what grieves God the most, what's the greatest commandment? Does anybody know the verse for the greatest commandment ever? The disciples asked Jesus this in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, verse uh, 36, Teacher, what is, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus says this, Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So what's the opposite of this? What's the opposite of the greatest commandment? The opposite of the greatest commandment is to not love God. To not love God. That's other bad news. Here's, I'll, I'll end with one more uh, note of bad news here. This is also... A forgiveness issue there's so much when when every inclination of the human heart is nothing but evil all the time it's because people aren't forgiving and I'm gonna flash you that the four types of unforgiveness the four types of bitterness once again I did I didn't not think of this I just read a lot I read a lot of books there's a book called uh, the enemies of the heart the enemies of the heart written by Andy Stanley and there's four enemies of the heart Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. And so these, these things, we can explain these 
these four enemies of the heart in, in debt-debtor language. You know what that means? Debt-debtor, like you owe me something. So if someone's angry, if someone cuts me off on the freeway, which never happens in Germany, why do they do that? They like cut you off and then they go back in this lane. It's, it's like, I guess it's because the middle finger is illegal here. So that's, that's, that's what they do to substitute for that. Crazy. Okay, so someone cuts me off and I'm angry and I say, you owe me. That's what anger is. Anger is, you owe me something. If, uh, if I did something, I, I messed up, or, or I messed up again, then if I beat up myself, then I say, oh, I should have done this differently. I owe me. And I'll walk around in regret, saying, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And I beat myself up. All that is, is me saying in my mind over and over and over again, I owe me, I owe me, I owe me, and I hold myself in debt. You know what greed is? Greed is the world owes me something, or my work owes me something. Like, I, sh I should have got this color little ribbon instead of that color. I wanted to, I'm, I'm like confessing a real thing here. I should have gotten that burgundy one, not a green one. I, t I emailed my friend, I said, hey, you know what they gave me when I left that command? And I was like, I, was like, oh, I can't believe it, man. I can't believe I got a green one. I wanted the, I wanted the burgundy one. What is it? What color is it? What color is an MSM? I don't know. And, he's, he's, he, and my friend Bill goes, me too, man. I just had that same thought. <laughs> Why do we do this? Why do we care about those things? They don't matter. They don't matter. And I think the world owes me something. Then I walk around bitter. The world owes me. Oh. They should have promoted me. They should, they, they, everybody owes me something. And now I'm just in my head. And all these people living rent-free in my head. You know what jealousy is? Jealousy is looking at God and saying, God, you owe me. Why did you make me 5-1? I wanted to be 6-1. Right? That's, that's jealousy is looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I didn't want this color hair. I didn't want this color... I wanted something different. Why can't I look like this person? That's bitterness towards God. What does Jesus say about how to get rid of these bitter things? Well, I'll just sum it up in, in Matthew 18. There's a, there's a great story here where Jesus says to his disciples, he said, how many times should we forgive? And Jesus says 70, not, I tell you not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. All right, what is that? Any mathematicians in here? So 490 times and you're done? No, that's basically saying forgive and forgive and forgive, forgive, unlimited. And the story was there's this guy who owed the king a lot of money. He owed him 10,000 talents. That's 20 years wages. If the average person in the world, in the U.S., I believe, the average income is like 50,000 times that by 20 years wages, that's a million dollars. So this guy owed the king a million dollars. And he pleaded with the king, and the king said, all right, I'll forgive your debt. And he lets him go, and then this guy that's let go finds another person who owes him a hundred dinar. You know how much that is? That's a day's wages. So in a day's wages, what's minimum wage today? $15, $17? let us just say it's 15 and then you work an eight-hour day, so it's like $150. So this guy was given, forgiven a million-dollar debt, and he finds someone that owes him 150 bucks, and he beats him up, and he chokes him up, chokes him out. And then someone saw this, and they go back to the king, and they say, hey, the guy that you forgave, 
you forgave a million dollar debt, he just beat up someone who owed him 150. And then after he had, he, he, he summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant like I had mercy on you? And he handed him over. And, he, and then he says this, he, he ends with this, this crazy, so also my heavenly father will do to you unless uh, every one of you, unless one of you forgives his brother or sister from his heart. Um, all, these, all these things, the uh, guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy, they are, you get rid of those things through forgiveness. And according to Jesus, according to Jesus, forgiveness is canceling a debt. Jesus defines forgiveness in Matthew 18 as, okay, uh, here's, here's what you owed me. And, you, and you, he tears it up. So if you're angry at someone, you go, you know what? You don't owe me a thing. You don't owe me a thing. I'm actually going through something right now, heavy, and, and, and uh, I, I talk to my brother Kelly all the time about it, and I'm like, yeah, this person owes me this, right? And, and Kelly, filled with the Spirit, can say to me, hey, let's pray that prayer. Bless him, change me. And it, and it brings me back. We, we laugh at it, but like, okay, that's true. Because the person doesn't owe me anything. Because Jesus already paid it. If I'm angry at myself, then I forgive myself. I, I, I choose to forgive myself. If I'm, ang if, I'm, if I'm greedy and I'm angry at the world, then I forgive them. They don't owe me anything. Because God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. If I'm bitter towards God, then I, it sounds kind of weird, but, right? But I forgive God. That means I relinquish my bitterness that I had towards God and I let him off the hook. And he doesn't owe me something different than he gave me. That's the problem here. I just gave three. So uh, three very, very bad news. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Let's read the last verse here. The last verse says this. Even though, the, the, even though God says, I regret that I made them. I mean, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the planet. This is a little uh, sneak preview of what's going to be talked about next week. But verse 8, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah found favor with the Lord. And as we prep for next week, which is going to be the promise of the Messiah, let's just take this week, a full week, to reflect on how bad it is. The bad news so it's and it's going to happen, and maybe it's going maybe it happened this morning as you're walking up. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you got in a fight coming here to church. I don't know. Maybe you're not like us. But <laughs> all you have to do is go to the parking lot, and it's going to happen. And then and then we let's just do this together. The same reps and sets. Oh Lord, here's what's going on. I'm actually worshiping the God of Comfort right now. Oh my gosh, it's happening again. Lord, I'm worshiping the the idol of power again. Wow, thank you for your forgiveness. Remember that verse we mentioned in 1 John 1? It never says to ask for forgiveness. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive. So we just go straight to Thanksgiving. I confess I worship the God of comfort. Thank you for your forgiveness. I confess I'm holding my work... Uh, in debt to me. Thank you for your forgiveness. See, it's a constant, the reps and sets in the spiritual life. This is how you get spiritually strong. You just constantly, constantly confessing sin. So as the band comes up, I'm going to pray for us and let this just be our prayer that for a week, we get in touch
with this bad news and our constant need of the Savior. And because we're in constant need of the Savior, it should bring us together as a community. And because no man or woman is an island, we're going to do this together, right? Like, call each other. Like, hey, here's, this thing's coming back. It's back again. And then, and then the person on the other line says, hey, thanks for calling. Thanks for sharing. Let's pray. Let's, let's do this together. So as the band plays, I'll just, can I pray for us? And then I'll, all right. Would you bow your heads, please, and pray with me? Father, thank you for, for all you've done. I mean, we see from beginning to end this whole story of humanity in the need, the promise, the announcement, and the plan. But Lord, this week we focus on all that is, all that bad news, the need. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for placing us in community where we don't have to do this battle alone, but we can do it shoulder to shoulder, like that song said. We can join at the hip and do life together because you've called us to do that. Lord, give us grace this week to receive each other's confessions with grace and mercy. Give us courage to pick up the phone, to call and say, hey, I have something to confess. I, here's where I'm at. As we move into this Advent season, may we draw closer and closer to the light that we would see clearer and clearer, see ourselves clearly, see each other clearly, see you clearly. And we pray all these things powerful and beautiful name of Jesus.